Friends, I bring you greetings, and I do so humbly from one of your partner churches, your sister evangelical church at Downsview Baptist Church. We are just a baseball throw away from the Humber River Hospital on the corner of, or almost the corner of Jane and the 401, or Keel and the 401. As Ross mentioned, my wife and I moved here almost five years ago. I can't believe it's been five years already. We, I still have boxes I haven't unpacked yet, I feel like. And, you know, to uh, be welcomed to Toronto in an association of churches where there's, I think, 52 churches in our association, having come from Sault Ste. Marie, where our association of churches was, was six, and since then one is closed, and so it's a small group, but being welcomed by Pastor Ross and my brother Nick, and we have really enjoyed our fellowship together. And coming early this morning to hear the worship team prepare the songs, it's one of my favorite things to do. If you've not encouraged, I encourage you to do that at some time. If you never come, just come early and sit and just watch how they prepare to lead us in the Christ-centered worship that we have all been yearning for again, have we not? I mean, it has been a crazy two years. It has been a crazy two years. Hallelujah. We at our church had the largest gathering back in building last Sunday. And just to look out, again, I'm, I'm emotional this morning having sung with you and, and enjoyed the Lord already, but just to see so many of you together, see you sitting together, uh, people shaking hands and encouraging. Uh, Doug welcomed me on the way in here already and others who I've been just been so welcomed by. Thank you for that. And I want to thank you in particular, if you'll allow me, for your kindness to my friend David Hallett. I've yet to think of myself as David's pastor, but I, I am. <laughs> David's dad is the chair of our leadership board. And Grant has been at the church since, well, he always says since Noah let him off the ark, but not quite then, <laughs> but almost from the founding of our church some 55 years ago. And his dad, Grant, is my hero. He just loves the Lord and has given his life to the encouragement of the church family for the sake of the glory of God. And for David and Cindy to come back after 20 years in Beijing, and really with a great big giant question mark as to what was next. They didn't know. They didn't come back with a plan. They knew their time was done, and they came back. And through some of the conversations I had with some folks here, and some of the conversations with David directly, we are so grateful that this partnership in the gospel that's sometimes more theoretical has really become very experiential, hasn't it? And for you to welcome David and Cindy and Joel here, some of you probably know that Joel's got a job in Arizona, and they're actually leaving on Tuesday, and we're grateful for that as well. But for you to really welcome David and Cindy into your midst here, in a time where he really is figuring out what's next, you have our appreciation as a church family. And a church family that, as I say, really does, I believe, share the kind of goals together that Lord, the Lord Jesus would be honored, that Honored in not just being believed on, but being lived for. Now, I, I know you must believe in him in order to live for him. But you know the distinction sometimes? You, you can believe things in your mind. You can agree. You give mental assent. But are you living for Jesus, as the old hymn writer asked? And, you know, for a church family to come together like this, to sing the praises of God with the enthusiasm and the passion that you did... And to do it with the genuineness. Oops, forgot the melody. I love that. I know you don't love that, Aaron, but I love that. It's like, it's not a Broadway show. It's real. My goodness, we're real. We're real people. We're whole people. It's real life. 
That's what we're doing together. And I'm just humbled to have a few minutes to open the Word of God along with you. Uh, we could just stop now. I, I love singing God's praises. I love sitting beside my dear wife. Pamela sings more beautifully than I do. But just to listen to your voices that way, to think about the theology. Theology is just to think about God, right? To think through the truths of what Horatio Spafford tried to capture in that hymn of It Is Well after his whole family had, had died. And some of you may be dealing with things as significant as that. Most of us probably aren't. Most of us are probably struggling with things that on one hand, on paper, they don't look like a big deal. But it doesn't help you, does it? It helps you to understand that the Lord Jesus knows. That the Lord Jesus really does understand and comprehend, as my brother prayed, his omnipresence, his omniscience. He knows all about us. And he knows what we need more than we do. In fact, he knows what we need before we ask him for it. And he has provided for us all that we require to live a godly life, to please our Lord in the Lord Jesus. So it's in his name that I greet you, and it's in his presence that we come to continue to worship together. Would you join me in a word of prayer, please? Father God, we compose ourselves now before your word, doing so with joy, knowing, Heavenly Father, that it is our joy that you've given to us. It's the fruit of the Spirit We haven't conjured it up of ourselves. You have given it to us. And so we, Heavenly Father, ask that throughout our time in the Word this morning, that it would be the culmination of our praise, because you have heard from us singing your truths. Would we hear from you now as you speak to us through your Word? Reveal your Son to us. Magnify his worth. Cause us to love it and enjoy it all the more to the end, dear God, that we truly would live for Christ, that others would see that that they would be eager to live for what we are living for, and that through all of that, Christ's magnificence would be on display. We pray through Christ. Amen. Well, friends, if you do have a Bible, let me encourage you to turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm number 50 and verse 12. Forgive me if I default to things that are obvious to you, but the book of Psalms is essentially in the middle of your Bible. If you just open that right up there, it looks like the word puslam, but uh, it's with a P. It's just in the middle of your Bible there, and you'll find the large numbers are the chapter numbers, and the smaller numbers are the verse numbers that we'll refer to. So Psalm number 50, and we'll look at verse 12 in a moment. We all, as I think we all would acknowledge, are struggling with all kinds of levels and all types of intensities of worry these days, of anxiety, of fear, of struggles with concern, of confusions and a lack of clear understanding of what's next. And I would suggest to you this thesis at the outset, and please work through it with me, but you and I are generally and largely not anxious about the things that we know. We are anxious about the things we think we know. We're not largely anxious about the things that we know, but about the things we think that we know. See, what we tend to do in the midst of our difficulties is we start to look at them and we think, if this happens, 
and this happens, and this is probably going to happen, and we look down the corridor of time, we see a problem that is no longer potential, but it's actual, and we bring the worry and the concern about that back into today. Friends, you and I are largely not worried about what we actually know, but it's what we postulate about what's going to happen. These been these crazy two years, we have been constantly bombarded with a lack of understanding what's next. We've had a lot of people telling us they know what's next. This is going to happen, and that's going to happen. If you do this, this will happen. If you don't do that, that will happen. And I, I feel like for about the last year, nobody's had any new ideas, have we? <laughs> We've had our positions. We know what we think. We know what we believe. We know what the science is. We know what the science isn't. We know to be vaxxed or not, mass or not, distance or not. We're all settled. And it's tough because you're not really as sure as we think we are, are we? We want to be sure. We have a difficult time living with non-closure, don't we? And so we, we, we come up with what we're sure is going to happen, and worry actually becomes an expression of concern. Do you know how we do that? Oh, I'm so glad my son finally made it on his trip. I was worried. Right? It's not an insult. It's, it's an expression of concern. Trouble is that you know as well as I do that the Lord Jesus tells us that we're to be anxious for nothing, that we're not supposed to worry about tomorrow, that we're not to worry about our lives. Well, isn't that helpful? You're already worried. You're already insecure about your life. And the pastor's going to come and say, stop sinning. Stop doing what Jesus tells you not to do. Is that helpful? It's not helpful. Well, it's not helpful if we end there. You see, dear friends, one of the challenges that you and I recognize when we put our heads on the pillow at night is that our problems are not actually too big. Our problem is our perception of God is too small. You see, God's not big enough to handle what's actually going on here. If I was sure he was, why would I worry? Who cares how big the coronavirus is? The vaccine is there, it'll handle it. And now I'm not worried anymore. But if I'm not convinced of God's bigness, God's presence, the certainty of his care, and when I worry, there's just something about his grace that just seems too distant. There's something about his love that just seems a little uncertain. Something about his kindness that just seems a bit incomplete. His protection seems to be something I just can't quite count on. I hear you. I hear your hearts. No, I don't. That's not my problem. I don't feel like that, Pastor. I know these things. Good. Cling to them. Hang on to them. And be willing to diagnose your certainty with your degree of worry. Worry is a terrific diagnostic for how much I'm actually trusting God. I find that personally very helpful. And you see, when I think that God's not quite big enough to handle the problem, I wrap myself in the warm blanket of worry. 
of anxiety. Because it makes sense, doesn't it? Some of you are dealing with situations this morning that your dearest friends are saying, that's understandable. And it is understandable. But here's the diabolical thing that the devil does. That, that something that is understandable actually becomes advisable. And advisable becomes normal. And normal becomes healthy. And before you know it, worry and anxiety that offer no actual help are actually a sign of health. There's something wrong with me when I'm not worried. Why aren't you concerned? What's the matter with you? That's the kind of conversations that the sin sickness in the world can infect us even in the evangelical church with. I think it's very true and very helpful that Corey Ten Boom was a survivor of the horrific Nazi concentration camps. She reminds us that worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. What worry does is only empties today of its strength. And now I not, don't even have the equipping of the truths of God to handle the difficulties that God has been pleased to come bring into my life. And friends, I have a single goal for you this morning. I have a single goal for you to receive from the word of God this morning is that you would leave here so assured of God's love for you that you are so concretely certain that his love can be depended on, that his protection is enough, that his grace really is sufficient, that his kindness is not too far to be reached for you, that you will know that Christ is, he has given his life as a sign of God's love. Is that what Alva Romans 5.8 tells us? God demonstrates his love in this. In what? That while we were yet sinners, while I was yet sinning, while I was worrying, Christ died for me. And friends, when you find yourself struggling through this, I was saying to Aaron, sometimes we sing, it is well with my soul. And sometimes I sing, is it well with my soul? <laughs> I think it is. I know it is, but I don't feel that it is. God, I know these things are true, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sensing that. Would you help me with that? That's the sense I want you to know this morning. And we're going to see that in two places this morning. We're going to see our general thesis from Psalm number 50, and then we're going to see the application directly from the words of Christ himself in Matthew chapter 6. So look at Psalm number 50, if you would. As you see the psalmist there, he is speaking to the people of Israel. And when you see people of Israel, just read people of God. Read Arendelle Bible Church, Downsview Baptist Church. Just read, put your name in there. This is who God's speaking to. A people that God had set apart as his own possession who he had set apart for his own, who believed and came to believe that God had needs like they did. God had troubles and difficulties like they did. God was just like them. In fact, he actually says as much back in the end of this psalm, verse 20 and 22. It's one of the rebukes that God actually gives the nation of Israel. You thought I was altogether like you. That's your problem, and that's still our challenge, isn't it? 
There's a very close connection sometimes between the personification of God as being just like us. And so God has to come to the people of Israel and rebuke them and then encourage them. And we have to receive both of those things this morning, friends. What he says here in verse 12 of Psalm 50 is, listen, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. God says, if I had a need, you would not be the ones I look to to meet that need. And then he gives some logic. Because the world and all its fullness are mine. Hey, if I had a need, I've got everything I need to fulfill that need. And if I had a need, I certainly wouldn't ask you to fulfill it. By the way, verse 13, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? I wouldn't come to you if I had a need. And just to be clear, I don't have needs. I'm not incomplete. Your worship of me and your sacrifices towards me as an act of worship are not fulfilling a need in me. God is not a needy God. God is not up in heaven saying, oh dear, I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit incomplete. Perhaps the people at Arendelle could sing another hymn for me because that would really help my self-esteem. That seems silly to us, friends, but in many ways, our worry shows that we think God is just like us. He's a little insecure. His praise, praise canister, if you will, is a little bit dry. It's a little bit empty. God needs just a little something. And he has to say to Israel, listen, I don't come to you for needs. And by the way, I don't even have them. He goes on to say in verse 14, here's what you'll do. Here's what your sacrifices are for. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Lord. Your vows to the Lord mean, what do you owe God? Keep your word. What do you owe him? What should you give him? A sacrifice, not of need fulfillment, but of thanksgiving. Why would we thank God? Well, why do we thank anybody? Thank you for leading us in worship, folks. I'm not thanking you. I'm thanking these folks. Because these are the folks who have met that need. Someone else is not. Why do I offer a thanksgiving of sacrifice, sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord? Because he is the one who's met my need. He is the one who has come and given me what I'm looking for. He is the one who's given me more than I require. And so he says, offer to me a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You recognize the one who's given, the one who can help me in my difficulty, who can come to me in my time of worry and anxiety. In fact, do this, verse 15 says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you and you shall glorify me. I shall deliver you. I memorized that many years ago in the word rescue, deliver, help, bring you what you need. Did you see the connection there between the word call and the word glorify? Call on me and I'll be glorified. God's glorified in our dependence upon him. When I am sure that I can depend upon him, what will I do? I'll call. Who, listen. Anyone who calls in the name of the Lord is going to be saved according to Romans chapter 10, right? You call in the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. But how will they call on someone in whom they've not believed? And how will they believe in someone in whom they've never heard? 
And how will they hear unless someone preaches? And how will they preach unless they're sent? But if they're sent, they're going to preach. And if they preach, people are going to hear. And if they hear, people are going to believe. And if they believe, they're going to call. And if they call, they're going to be saved. And God's going to be glorified. What a deal God gives us. You come to me in your difficulty. I will deliver you. And I will be glorified. There it is. Isn't that our Christian life? So what are you worried about? (laughs) Why are you anxious about? Why are we still anxious? Why are we still struggling? It's because, dear friends, we're struggling to see that very connection. And the connection that I want you to see there that connects to my goal that you would leave here so certain of God's care for you is because of this truth that is articulated in this text, that God's determination to deliver you to display his glory. That's what God is about. God's determination to display his glory in your deliverance. Now, that just to me sounds like such good news. It's so practically helpful. That God, when it comes to my worry, how it connects to anxiety, is that your deliverance is as sure as his commitment to the display of his glory. Sometimes, sometimes, it's a bit embarrassing to recognize that I'm actually more certain of my commitment to my good than God's commitment to his glory. That's why I worry. That's why I get stuck in spinning my tires in the snow bank of anxiety. Because God's commitment to his glory, I miss the connection to my good and my deliverance. Don't miss it. That's an easy verse to recognize, an easy verse to memorize. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will rescue you, great promise, and you will glorify me, my reason for living. The very reason we've been created. The reason Christ would go to the cross Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify thee. Isn't that what Jesus prayed the night before he died? Glorify me so I will glorify you. Jesus' whole point. It's not just his point, it's his promise. When you call, I'll deliver you. And in my deliverance, you will glorify me. And we will respond with a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Friends, I want this morning that it's that what you think you know would not trump the one that you know. That's a very helpful antidote to anxiety. Do not let what you think you know trump the one. That you know, I, I know the word Trump may not be the best <laughs> verb these days, but you tell me how it goes over. <laughs> but you see, there's at least three things that get in the way of us getting this and believing this. I, I see God's promise. I'm struggling with and struggling against anxiety. Please don't just struggle with it, friends. Struggle against it. Fight against it. One question or one doubt, 
Another thing God tells us through the book of James not to do. But we struggle with that. We come before God honest and transparent. First challenge is I'm not sure if God knows what he's doing. Or if he's powerful enough to actually do it. I doubt his power. I struggle, I struggle with his power. I, I struggle with his love. And I frankly, I struggle with his wisdom. Can God do it? Will God do it? Does God know what he's actually doing? Now, now, none of us very often open our mouths and say this to God. I don't think you're powerful enough. Sometimes, sometimes answered prayer betrays the fact that we didn't think God was powerful enough, isn't it? Wow, God actually healed. God delivered. Wow, the money was there. Wow, the people have come back to church. Boy, the microphone worked when we started speaking. Whatever it might be, right? That somehow, I, I, I was actually doubting whether or not God can. Well, I know he can. I just don't know if he cares. I know a lot of people who have abilities to help me, and they don't help me because they don't care enough to help me. You thought I was altogether like you, God says, and you think they're just like... no. But I'm doubting his power. I doubt his love. Or I doubt his, sure, he's powerful enough and he'd love to help, but he just doesn't get it. God doesn't understand. Isn't that what we say to each other? I wish someone understood what I was going through. Friends, I know it's so corny. And, and, and God didn't write the Bible to make bumper stickers for us. But... I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know who holds tomorrow. I know that's a bumper sticker, but that's really helpful in moments like this. To think, I don't know. Tim Keller says, cast a savvy vote for your own incompetence. <laughs> Stop believing that we know what's going to happen and being worried about that in advance. Instead, focus on the one that I do know, believing about his power, his love, and his wisdom that I might grow in understanding the one I know so that I might show that I believe he'll never let me go. Again, a bit bumper sticker-ish, but is that helpful? Grow in the understanding of the one that I know so that I might show that I believe he'll never let me go. Worry does not show that. Anxiety is understandable but it's not acceptable. It's not normal or healthy, friends. And so what do we do? Well, we, we grip onto the truth of the gospel. Because is that not the message of the gospel right there? The message of God's determination to display his glory in the deliverance of his people. That's what we're showing the world, isn't it? The gospel is the message of God's determination to display his glory in the deliverance of his people. Pastor Nick prayed earlier that, God, you would move for our good and your glory. And that's right. But see, friends, I want you to be assured of God's determination to display that. God's determination to display his glory is just that. It's connected inexorably to his commitment to our good. 
And thus, as evangelicals, we take shelter in the evangel. We take shelter. We take refuge in the shadow of the good news that we find under his wings. That I would stop believing that my commitment to my good is more certain than God's commitment to his glory. I would stop wrapping myself in anxiety and worship as if it's really going to protect me when it's not. Instead, I find myself again connected to the fact that God's determination to display his glory in my deliverance is where my assurance must rest. Then I will know it's well with my soul. Then I'll believe that God is showing his love by sending his son to the cross. Then I will believe that it was for the joy set before him that he would endure the cross. Then I would believe that he right now intercedes for me at the right hand of the Father. That he is willing and that he is able and that he is eager, powerful and wise enough Deal with that thing that's in your heart right now that you're so convinced there's not a person in this room who understands. There might not be a person in your life that you've told it to because you're certain they're not going to get it. Or you've told them before and they didn't care. Or they were really concerned but they didn't know what to do about it. Or they had no ability to do it. You see, when the power and the love and the wisdom of people around us fails, we're just way too quick to put that on the Lord instead of recognizing that when the power and the love and the wisdom of everyone else around us fall short, it's exactly intended to point us to the one who promises to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so faith in this truth, in this truth of the gospel, is a tremendous antidote antidote to anxiety. It's not the only one. I'm not suggesting this handles everything. But I'm suggesting, dear friends, if you see the connection between your calling and him being glorified, his determination to display his majesty in delivering you from your challenges, it's an extraordinary help. Well, how do I have faith in that? Because you've laid it out and said, you have to have faith in this. Okay, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. Come on, I can just squeeze it out. I believe. And it doesn't work. Faith is what? It's a gift from God. And so, Jesus, you have to give it to me. How does faith come? Faith comes by hearing. Ah, hearing by the word of God. Okay, let's ask Jesus how we do this. Let's put the question to our Lord. Let's do that. And look at Matthew chapter 6, if you would, with me, please. The Gospel of Matthew. It's just in the last quarter of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Just back up to Matthew chapter 6. The classic text of Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34. And as we ask Jesus a question, please notice verse 25. Do not be anxious about your life. Look down at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Those are the bookends. These are the things that buttress everything in between. His, his, his thesis and his conclusion are, do not be anxious. And we're looking, aren't we, for 
How do I do that? Everything in between is supported by these. And all of these things in between lead backwards or forwards to those same conclusions. And so here's Jesus in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon that he gives to his own. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1, it begins that Jesus got himself up on a high mountain. He sat down and he opened his mouth. Calling his disciples to himself, he began to teach them. This is not evangelism. This is discipleship. This is an expectation of how the people of God living under the new covenant are going to operate. Jesus has just spent chapter 5 in the, the end of it speaking about, you've heard it was said, but I say. Moses told you, Moses did everything he did to introduce you to me. And now you've come to me and now Jesus is the Lord and the lawgiver of the church. And so we look to Jesus. We're grateful for the law and the prophets whose sole job was explicitly to point us to the coming Messiah. And here he is. And now we hear him speaking to us in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. He begins, let's just walk through this. Let's look at his power, love, wisdom. Let's just look to tick them off. Verse 25, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and therefore they starve to death. I'm sorry, it doesn't say starve to death. What does it say? He says, therefore your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? There it is. God's power to provide food, clothing, and shelter. And God's power to do that must help us and must focus us that what we need will be provided by the one who can provide it. Friends, sometimes we're not sure. We're not sure sometimes if he's powerful enough to do it. He says, look at the creation. Look at the parts of creation that have been created below you. God created man and woman in his own image, he said. Humankind are made in the image. They are the crowning achievement of the creation of God. And he says, you are more valuable than the things you, than the things you see being taken care of. Therefore, I can believe that God's powerful enough to do it. And as he says, there are you not much more valuable than they? That's his love. He sets value on us. It's one of the songs we sang. I see my value when I look at Christ. There's something along that line. It's a really good song. Because, friends, please understand, the value we have is not intrinsic. It is applied. It's ascribed. It's infused. It's imparted. Right? 
Don't look inside yourself and say, I am so valuable that Jesus will take care of me. You'll be sorely disappointed. I have been sorely disappointed. My testimony is that I grew up a very proud Roman Catholic young man. And I didn't just go at Christmas and Easter. I was an altar boy. I was a thurfer. It's the guy who does the incense. I knew my Roman Catholic theology. I went every single Sunday of my life. You think I'm exaggerating. Every single Sunday. And God was so impressed with me. I never, I, capital N, never told a lie through high school. The entire time of my life through high school. Capital N, never. And you know what? I had, God was going, a boy, Pete. Way to go. Hey, Satan, have you considered my servant Pete? He's righteous. He walks with God, turns away from evil. That, that's me in the book of Job. I had this big bag of righteousness. and said, God, look. And he said, it does say righteousness. Trouble is there's a prefix. Self-righteousness. And it was full of filthy rags. And God had to show me that the cross did not have a help-wanted sign on it. I've done my part. You do your part. I thought, great, I'll do my part. But God said, no, no, no. It doesn't say help wanted. What's the sign say? It is finished. It's accomplished. I've done everything that is required for you in order for you to please me. Now you trust me. But what's my part, God? Your part was to screw up enough to make the cross necessary, okay? That was your part. You're the one who made the cross necessary. Great. I was actually very good at that. I'm still good at that, aren't you? You look at the cross sometimes and you, you, you see the glory of Christ there and his love expressed. Don't miss the reason that he went. Not the cause. God was the cause. God sent his son. Jesus said, I'm going. The spirit led him. God was the cause. But our sins were the reason. Not our sins. My sin. That moment of worry and anxiety that I cloaked myself in, in self-love, rather than recognizing God's power, God's love, because I'm intrinsically not intrinsically valuable because he has ascribed value to me because I am in union and communion with God. And then Jesus does the last one with a bit of logic. Sounds much like the Apostle Paul here, actually. See in verse 27? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? <laughs> wisdom. God's Wisdom. He says, does it help you to worry? Do you know what our answer is? The answer is yes. That's what we think. That's why we do it. We don't do it to be miserable. No one sins to be miserable. We sin because we think it's going to help. It's foolish, but it's real. My confession goes before the Lord and says, I'm so sorry. I was so sure I knew what was best for me better than you did. Which of you think you can add a single hour to the span of your life by worry? I, that's why I'm doing it. Because I think 
It's going to be better. I think I know better than God applying his own knowledge. That's what wisdom is, the application of knowledge. God knows and God shows that he's never going to let me go. Which of you can add any time, any help to your life? I'm back to Corey Ten Boom's same quote. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It only empties today of its strength. So power, love, and wisdom, they're all checked off. And so Jesus expands it now in verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Well, consider lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, or since God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And he describes us. Oh, you of little faith. Ah. I've got God's power. I get it about his love. I see his wisdom. I must add faith. Oh, you have little faith. Oh, you who are struggling to believe, who are still yet to cast a savvy vote for your own incompetence, as Keller reminds us, those of us who still think we know better, who really do want to be the smartest guy in the room when we're in the room with Jesus. Jesus not only loves more and is more powerful, he really does know better. This, this may not be your hang-up. This is my hang-up in particular. I am so sure of what I know. I am, I am so sure of what I know that I post it on Facebook. <laughs> you know the confidence it takes to put something on Facebook? It doesn't take the confidence it did two years ago, apparently. But it still takes a bit for me, because I know Nick's going to read it. I know the other pastors are going to say, hey, my love is going to look at it and say, you should, and she's usually right. <laughs> but there's something about thinking that I really know, do know better than God, and he's just destroying that. He's just destroying my own self-righteousness and self-esteem. Because you see, friends, faith in what? Faith in the revealed promises of God, not faith in the invented promises of God. If you're a Christian, you'll never get COVID. Really? Where is that? That's a good deal. Where, where is that? And then people who said that died. And I said, oh, well, that's not really helpful anymore, is it? You see, inventing God's promises is not helpful. The reception of God's promises is what's helpful. Because when I see his revealed truth in the word, I don't just see a truth about his promises. I see a truth about him. The more I know this God, the more I'm going to grow in my understanding of this God. Boy, if you knew who my dad was, you wouldn't pick on me. That's what the kids say on the, on, the, on the playground. If you knew who my mom was, you know, you've said this before. Do you know who I know? You know who my, you know who my friends are? I know the councilman. You know, I know the police officer. Do you know who I know? Do you know who's standing behind me? 
And we're not afraid. Because our trouble's really not too big, is that our view of God is too small. My view of God is too small because I'm not only clinging to his promises, I need to know the one who stands behind the promises. Which means classes in theology are not inapplicable or just airy-fairy, pie-in-the-sky things that Pastor Nick and I look at. No, no. The study of God is a route to the very peace we're missing, friends. It's a direct line. Call on me. Who are, who are you? Why would I call on you? Because you're the God who, who's this powerful and this loving and this wise. And your word tells me about those things. And I come right to the very lips of my Lord himself who says in verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we drink? What shall we eat? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows. He's got it. He's not caught off guard. My prayer life is not informing God of what I need. Hey, God, by the way, tell him specifically, but he knows what we need. So instead of being like the unbelieving world, which is what Gentiles means there, not just non-Jewish, but that Jesus is using that phrase to mean the unbelieving people. Unbelieving people seek after these things and they don't believe God's going to give them. Yikes. That's too often a description of me. Which is how I operate and therefore that's how I might be described. Instead, my goal is verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All these things will be provided to you. Food, clothing, shelter. Careful, careful now. Hmm. Haven't Christians starved to death over the centuries? Aren't our brothers and sisters taking shelter in a subway station in the Ukraine right now? Because their shelter just got blown up. The mother who's sitting there with a child on her lap who just gave them the last bit of food they had and have no idea what's next. And watching people dying around them. Has, has, has God let them down? Has God failed to keep his promise? Is God in fact not trustworthy? Maybe worrying about myself is the better route. No, dear friends. The truth is that God will provide all you need until you don't need it anymore. All of us are going to come to a time in our life that we don't need any more food, no more clothing or shelter. Because it's time to go home. It's time to go where he's prepared a place for us. It's time to fly to Jesus. God will provide you with all you need until you don't need it anymore. You will be delivered from all the trouble that you need to be delivered from. And you will be delivered from it in a way that will show his glory most gloriously. Now there's a life worth living, isn't it? That is not a wasted life. 
to come to the end of your life and realize I had been spent and spent it all and left it on the field. And that God will provide all that I require until I don't require it anymore. So God will provide all that I need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And so verse 34 ends, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious about itself. There's, there's plenty of things to worry about when it comes. Don't, don't worry about tomorrow's trouble today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient for the day is the trouble thereof. Right? You've got enough to worry about today. You've got enough to deal with today. Don't, don't go looking into tomorrow, Jesus says. Friends, the power and the love and the wisdom of God that he promises that he connects the gift of faith to so that we really will live in light of that is a assurance for you of God's determination to display his glory in your deliverance. That is the promise of God for us this morning. My prayer is that you would be assured of that as you leave and that you might live for Christ with just that truth being displayed. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, it's our great privilege to be counted as those who are your own. How you have set apart, dear God, to display your goodness and your glory in our lives. And we're afraid. And we're confused. We fall short. We don't get it. And we strive for it and we fall. And yet, dear God, as the psalmist says, I may have fallen, but because I'm a child of the king, I have not fallen headlong. Do not rejoice over me, my enemies. God is enough. So we praise you, dear God, for that truth, and I pray that you would brand it on our foreheads, that you would sear it on our hearts, that our lives could not help but display your goodness, your magnificence, your worth, And that in so doing, dear God, you would receive the glory that you so deserve. Hear our prayer, dear God, as I offer it on my behalf and behalf of all our dear friends here. In Christ's name, amen.